We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Blue Wire. Hey, this is George Kittle, and you're listening to Candlestick Chronicles. New England sending QB Jimmy Garoppolo to 49ers. We believe we found the right guy. Garoppolo, quick pass, caught by Kittle. He dives, and he's in. Touchdown, 49ers. Kittle is going to go. Touchdown. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to Candlestick Chronicles, the 49ers podcast on the Blue Wire Network. My name is Chris Biederman. I cover the 49ers for the Sacramento Bee. With me, most of the time, it is Kyle Madsen of Niners Wire of the USA Today Sports Media Group. We had to switch things up. Our normal podcasting platform didn't work tonight, so we actually decided to uh, to video chat this one. So Kyle and I can actually look at each other while we're recording this podcast, so it is a little <laughs> bit different. Uh, but Kyle, what's going on, man? Happy holidays. Yeah, happy holidays, dude. I'm um, sitting here hanging out with my cats who are angry with me that I haven't fed them yet, but uh, that's how it normally goes. I think they know when dad's sitting on the floor, it's going to be a while. So I podcast from my floor. Don't worry about it. That's that's interesting. Can you explain? Can you expound on that a little bit further? Why the floor? Because uh, the TV is occupied downstairs and just downstairs in general is occupied. I don't have an office set up yet. And the couch futon, it's a futon, not a couch. The futon we have in our spare room is from Ikea and like weirdly shaped. And so when I sit on it with my back up against the back of the couch, my feet don't touch the floor. (laughs) (laughs) And that makes me feel weird. Yeah, that would make for bad podcasting. Yeah. And it's you can't have your feet on the ground. Everybody's always said Rule number one of podcasting, make sure your feet are on the floor. At some point here, I'm going to transition to laying on my stomach uh, because it's more comfortable on my back. So, um, I, I'm not a homeowner, homeowner, so I can't really 
I don't want to be like the guy who's trying to give the homeowner advice, but uh, maybe get a desk. Okay. For for where you can record pods like a normal person. I told you I have an office. It's just not set up yet. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Uh, we are recording this on a Monday night. The 49ers beat the Los Angeles Rams 34-31 on Saturday. Oddly enough, I mean, it feels a little bit weird because we normally record the night after a game, but it feels like the game was like a week ago, um, ma- mainly because we consumed all the other football on Sunday. Uh, so going back through the game and, and looking back at notes and highlights and stats and things like that, you sort of get refreshed about what happened in the game. I, I don't want to spend too much time rehashing the game because uh, I think a lot of that has been done already. And, and I think the bigger point to hit on this week or, or in this episode in particular, and we'll address it too later in the week, obviously, when we preview Sunday's game. But I do want to talk about the Seahawks, uh, the that finale, what's at stake, what we learned Saturday that um, could lend lend itself to uh, gathering more information or knowledge about what to expect when the 49ers go up to Seattle. So the 49ers are having kind of a unique practice week uh, because they played on Saturday. They are moving up the schedule one day. Uh, Tuesday is going to be the normal Wednesday for practice. Wednesday, obviously, Christmas Day, the 49ers are going to have the day off. Uh, players are not going to be required to go to the facility at all. Um, which is a little bit unique, and then practice will resume its normal schedule on Thursday and Friday before Sunday's game, which is obviously flexed to NBC primetime. As we uh, as we recording started recording this, the news broke that Marshawn Lynch is officially back with the Seattle Seahawks. Um, Kyle, your thoughts on Marshawn Lynch? I don't really, I don't really have any because to me, it's akin to like. They also signed Robert Turbin, and from a football standpoint, I think those are about the same. Uh, Marshawn Lynch hasn't played football since last season. He only played six games last season. Uh, He's going to have a week to get in football shape, and I know you can work out and such when you're not playing football, but like, there's a reason there's months of training camp, and there's a reason that you have to practice for two weeks when you come off of IR and all that jazz. Um, I, I I just, I think this is more like an emotional lift than, than a physical football uh, advantage for the Seahawks. And I think we're still going to see a ton of Travis Homer uh, on Sunday. And, and I don't expect Marshawn Lynch to get more than 10 or 12 touches. Yeah, it was, it was interesting. I, I think, we talked about it before we started recording, but Pete Carroll went on 710 ESPN radio in Seattle for his weekly hit this morning, Monday morning. And and I listened to it and they asked him straight up about Marshawn Lynch. And now typically when a coach is asked about a player who is not signed, he'll be very tight lipped about it. He will, um, you know, plead the fifth, say, you know, I can't really talk about guys who aren't, who aren't on our team. We'll see that decision's pending, blah, 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 blah. A lot of platitudes uh, when the host in Seattle asked Carol about Marshawn Lynch, Carol was basically Marshawn's hype man. Like he was like, it's, it's really exciting. I, I think it's freaking great. Uh, if he could get out there and tote the ball for us, that's what he said about a guy who was unsigned. Oh, as I, as I'm going on this rant, Kyle really is laying on the floor. By the you way, thought, you think this is a game. It's not. No, <laughs> I'm thinking about closing out the window now. This, this might be a little too much. This feels for, like a, this I'm looking at myself but, in the um, screen up there. I feel like so, I'm in a Beastie Boys video. 
I think what Pete Carroll is is trying to do is um, is generate excitement and optimism. And I think the point about the point of signing Marshawn is about giving the team an emotional lift because they're dealing with so many injuries right now. Um, you can imagine that CenturyLink Field, if and when Marshawn Lynch gets carries, is going to go completely nuts. Um, and that place, you know, is is easy to to rile up to begin with. But throwing beast mode back into the mix could change the atmosphere, could change the energy in the building a little bit. But ultimately, I'm with you. Like, I don't think adding a 33 year old Marshawn Lynch who hasn't played football in well over a year is going to be the difference for the Seahawks between winning and losing. I think he's a body uh, who you can give the ball to probably 10 times, who may have a good run or two and who may really rile up the crowd and energize the team overall just with his presence being there and, and just given the career that he's had with the Seahawks. But I think there's a strong chance that that eventually wears off mm-hmm. and and the the reality is going to set in that the Seahawks are really depleted right now. And they're, yep. they're like super depleted going into this game. And it's obviously early in the week, so I, I don't want to um, – you know, some of these guys, we don't know for sure that they're not going to play, but reading reports out of Seattle, it sounds like they're not going to play. So Chris Carson, their 1,200-yard rusher, uh, he's out. He broke his hip Sunday in Seattle's mm. loss to the Arizona Cardinals. Rashad Penny, a first-round pick from last year, towards ACL a couple weeks ago. He's obviously not going to play. C.J. Procise has an arm injury. He's not going to play. So that's essentially their top three running backs, which is why they went to Marshawn Lynch and Robert Turbin. Uh, Dwayne Brown has a knee injury. He's not going to play. They're starting left tackle, and that's a pretty big deal because the 49ers' pass rush is obviously pretty formidable. It hasn't been very good lately. We'll talk about that in a little bit. But Dwayne Brown had a really nice game for Seattle when they came down to to beat the 49ers in November. So that's a big loss. Quandre Diggs, their safety, uh, who had an interception in that game in November, is dealing with an ankle injury. He hasn't played. Um, and it's looking like he's probably not going to play Sunday with a high ankle injury. Shaquille Griffin, probably their best cornerback, has a hamstring injury, and he's probably not going to play. But if there's a sliver of good news for Seattle, it's that Jadavian Clowney, who has a core muscle injury, probably will play after missing the last two games. Clowney obviously had maybe the best game of his career in that November game. So we're talking about a lot of important pieces for Seattle, and it sounds like the way they're trying to make up for those absences is by drumming up a bunch of excitement by getting Marshawn Lynch back in the mix. And maybe it works. I mean, this, you know, sports are crazy. Marshawn Lynch, if, if there's anybody who could come off the street and provide an immediate boost, both emotionally and from a production standpoint, I do think Marshawn Lynch is one of those guys. But I personally am not expecting it. Um but I, I absolutely envision like CenturyLink Field doing the thing where the place literally bounces if Marshawn Lynch were to like have a twenty-yard touchdown run where he busted a couple tackles, like that yeah. could that could be huge for for the game. But like over the long haul, I don't know that it's going to have that much of an impact. Yeah, I don't think so either. And I think what you said about it wearing off eventually is is hitting the nail on the head unless he comes out and just has a huge game and goes 25 carries for like 110 yards and a couple touchdowns but I can't imagine a scenario where he steps in and is that productive for the entire game and 
the thing that that really sticks out is if this was like if this was the Chiefs, all right, let's say the Niners are playing the Chiefs, and it's the same thing where they need to win and they 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 get the number one seed in the NFC. And the Chiefs said, hey, we're bringing back Jamal Charles. <laughs> Nobody is freaking out that they're bringing back Jamal Charles. But Marshawn Lynch and the Seahawks of 2012 and 2013, that's just a cloud that's hanging over the 49ers. Like, it's it's been there since the early part of the decade and it's lasted while the 49ers haven't been very good and while the Seahawks have been really good and I think that this is more of a psychological um jolt than it is like I said like a football advantage I just don't see I mean what Bill, Bill Simmons has the Tyson zone where somebody reaches a point where you just believe anything about him. And I think Marshawn Lynch is there. Like if you told me Marshawn Lynch did go 25 carries for a buck 10 and two touchdowns, like I would believe it, but I'm not betting on it. Like I just don't, I, I, I don't think it's that big of a deal. I, I, I think every, every feeling about it is psychological. Right. Like you, you, the logic is this guy was a free agent for a reason. Yes. Right. Yeah. Like this this guy That's has it. been out of the league for for most of you if know this... all of 2019, most of 2018 for a reason. Um, if the Seahawks his... thought he could help, they would have called him already. Right. So, yeah, I I, I don't want to dismiss the idea completely. Um, like like we've like we've said, I, I do think there's there's an emotional aspect that could impact the game because it is going to be an emotional game. Um, regardless of how it plays out. So I think the 49ers consider themselves a significantly better team than than what Seattle is going to trot out there. And and I don't know that that's necessarily going to be, uh, you know, they're, they're going to roll into the game overconfident, but I do think um, the 49ers think they are the better team. So um, we'll have to see. It's going to be interesting. It adds a little bit of flavor to this game, which is not going to, it's not going to be lacking for it. Um, but uh, it, it's it's definitely an interesting wrinkle to to throw in there. The 49ers, uh, with the exception of Mike Person and D Ford, look like they're getting healthier now. We don't know if Jaquaski Tart is going to return the strong safety uh, from his rib injury that has caused him to miss what the last three games. Um, and then uh, who else is there? Julian Taylor is probably going to come back, the defensive tackle off of an elbow injury. So. That'll be a boost considering the 49ers lost DJ Jones. They've been without Ronald Blair, and I, I think those issues have sort of uh, been the main reason why the 49ers' pass rush has taken such a significant step back in recent weeks. But let's go back to the game Saturday night where the 49ers beat the Rams. They converted a pair of completely ridiculous third and 16s on the final drive uh, to break the tie with the game-winning field goal. Um, it, it started by the 49ers falling behind 14 to three, and it was a really sluggish start from them, particularly offensively, uh, actually both sides of the ball. They weren't very good on either side to, to start. They allowed a pair of Todd Gurley touchdowns in the first half. Uh, Kyle Shanahan had to get the offense going with his play calling, which we've seen a couple different times this year. Uh, I think the last time was, was against the Cardinals, uh, where they were struggling. And then there was that throwback screen to, uh, Richie James that that ultimately got the got the game going. I think that was an 80 yard gain. 
early in the second quarter of that game, uh, or maybe not 80 yards. Either way, uh, Kyle Shanahan dialed up some runs to Debo Samuel. He called a bubble screen to Debo Samuel and a screen to Kyle Juszczyk that got the 49ers in range to score. And then a rushing play for Debo Samuel, a zone read. He started out in the backfield, took it over left tackle, and, and got the edge and wound, wound up scoring the touchdown. Um, Kyle, what do you think of that sequence in the first quarter, or the first half, I should say, after the 49ers fell down 14-3 to and how it sort of changed the tenor of that game? Two things. One, Debo's versatility was what really stood out when uh, you researched him coming out of the draft. And I think he had something like like 10 rushing touchdowns, 9 or 10 rushing touchdowns. He had a couple of kick return touchdowns. He had a bunch of receiving touchdowns, obviously. And we're starting to see the Niners, as he gets more comfortable in the offense, use him in, in more ways. Uh, we saw him line up in the backfield just as a straight-up running back multiple times. He took a, a handoff, two handoffs, like you said, uh, just as a running back. And I think that's going to be a fascinating thing to watch uh, both in week 17 and, to the pl- and into the playoffs to see how the Niners uh, continue to use his versatility. And then that drive, and there were a few other things that happened throughout that game that just show the difference in an NFL team playing in a game they know they need versus a game they know they don't need. And there's a reason we didn't see all those Debo Samuel runs and the screen to use check and some of the other uh, stuff they did there's a reason you didn't see it against the Falcons and it's because they're waiting for a game like the Rams where they don't think they can just line up and and win with a quote-unquote vanilla game plan and uh, I think if you're a Niner fan you got to be confident that they have that in them when they needed to go score against the Rams they did it they did the same thing against Seattle they didn't do it in Baltimore but or not Seattle, but uh, in New Orleans. They didn't do it in Baltimore, but there have been multiple times this year now where when the Niners have needed points, uh, they've had the plays in their playbook to go get them. Yeah, they fell down 14-3 to Saturday. They were down uh, 20-7 to in the first half against the Rams. They were down, or against the Saints. Uh, They were down multiple scores in that Arizona game in November. Um, So we do know that they can come back. And this was a discussion that we had earlier in the year that can the 49ers play a game where the defense isn't dominating, where the offense struggles and they have to come from behind uh, being down multiple scores. I remember we we spoke about those exact scenarios specifically as the 49ers are rolling over those bad teams and people were like, well, we don't know if they can come from behind and win in these games. It's like, yeah, they, they definitely can. And right. if there's a theme of these losses that they've had it's that one it's really really difficult to win in baltimore um two if you give the ball away and make a bunch of mistakes and you're going to lose to a good team like seattle and three if you're not playing inspired football you're going to lose to a team like the falcons who are what five and two in their last seven games and maybe that loss isn't going to look as bad as it felt Um, when the 49ers were going through it. I think it's going to end up being one of those losses where it wasn't about who you played, it was about when you played them. And I think getting the 49ers um, after that three-game stretch, um, you know, where they they had those three games against really tough playoff teams, I think there was certainly a, uh, a lull there from them. So we know the 49ers are good. (laughs) I mean, the, 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 all the conversations we've had now, 
throughout the entire season, we, we can all kind of, we, we can put a stamp on them because yep. look, we're heading into the 16th game. The 49ers have already won 12. There's a very good chance they, they win a 13th or at, at least a pretty good chance. I know they're favored going into Seattle, uh, which is pretty telling. What is it? A three point? Are yeah. they favored by three? Yeah. Favored by three in favored Seattle, by three. which is wild. That is wild. That's that people are jumping on all over those injuries. Um, so I, yeah, maybe, maybe there is a, uh, a nobody believes in us, <laughs> um, aspect I to the game from, so from Seattle's <laughs> from Seattle's standpoint. But, um, Hey, I think Robert Turbin can do some stuff. <laughs> so 13 and three or 12 and three. What, what Let's just reflect on it for a second, because you and I went into the season. I don't know if we were in the same prediction, but I had written that I thought they were an 8-8 eight and eight team. And that was largely because of all of the unknowns, right? Like, was the right. secondary going to be good enough? Well, it turns out the secondary ended up being really good. And everybody who questioned the idea that uh, the 49ers wouldn't be better in the secondary on the back end without making significant personnel adjustments... Um, everybody was wrong. The 49ers are right. They were right to, to stick with Jimmy Ward, who has been really good. He was a Pro Bowl alternate. He probably would have been a Pro Bowler if he had made a, a pick or two or maybe more splash plays. But instead, he's just been a really consistent player and arguably mm. the best pass defense in the mm. league. Interesting. Um, Jaquaski Tart has been solid. Um, Richard Sherman is, is back to a closer version of the of the Seahawks. Richard Sherman that we saw for so many years and he might, be an all played. He might yeah there's a chance um I, I think he's probably a second teamer but we'll have to see but anyway uh Akella Witherspoon played really well early on in the year he's taken a little bit of a step back as the entire defense has lately um Emmanuel Mosley played really well so you know, we we went into the season wondering if the 49ers secondary was going to be any good, and it turns out it 49ers secondary was really good. Yep. And that the front office was correct in tinkering maybe with the coaching staff, adding Joe Woods instead of you know making uh, you know getting rid of Jimmy Ward, which a lot of people wanted the team to do. Um, so we'll we'll have to see how they how they progress forward with this thing in the off season. We'll have plenty of time to talk about that, but. I think that's the thing that I'll think about most in terms of the 49ers record is just how good the secondary was, because that was the biggest question mark. And obviously, you know, getting uh, you're going to have at least 16 starts from Jimmy Garoppolo this year. It turns out Garoppolo is, in fact, a good quarterback when you get him over a full season. Um, the weapons have developed nicely. I think obviously getting Emmanuel Sanders is, has been a boon for them. Raheem Mostert becoming the team's top running back. Uh, was not something I expected coming into the year. Yeah. Um, Tevin Coleman sort of becoming um, and also ran at this point in the season was not something I expected. He did have some pretty good games, uh, particularly that mm -hmm. Carolina game uh, in late October. But um, Debo Samuel has been coming on of late. He's been one of the most productive rookie receivers, probably the third most behind DK Metcalf and A.J. Brown. Um Matt Breida sort of taken a step back lately. Uh, the offensive line has been good. I just, you know, it, we, we get so wrapped up in the week-to-week -week stuff to, to take a step back and think about what we thought of this team, you know, in the during draft time and after free agency. We obviously thought the defensive line could be really good, 
when at full strength, it was clearly the best in the league. It's not full strength anymore because the depth pieces are gone and you have Nick Bosa now playing 95% of the snaps instead of, you know, 50 and 60%, which was the case early in the season. Um, Eric Armstead's been a revelation, which is, uh, I guess it's not entirely surprising the best year of his career would come in a contract year, but it's surprising at how good he is. To lead the team in sacks, to be a very good run defender, and to be able to play all four spots, defensive tackle and defensive end, has been really impressive. So um, taking, taking a step back and just looking at the entire season, it's been really, really impressive because there were not super sky-high expectations for this team coming into the year. Yeah, I think you and I both said we we picked something around 8 and 8 because we believed 4 and 12 was on the table and that 12 and 4 was on the table if everything went right and uh everything has gone right for the most part. And the 49ers now all year have been going into situations where they had to figure out how they're going to overcome the loss of a bunch of starters. Well, now they're on the other side of that going into the last game of the year uh, with a chance to go 13 and three against the Seahawks team. That's, that's pretty beat up. Like we talked about earlier. Yeah. So now we're looking at the 49ers as a potential one seed in the NFC, which is just, it's just really hard to believe it's wild. Um, and it speaks to the idea that, they were certainly much better than a four and 12 team last year, just from a roster construction standpoint, they just went four and 12 because they lost their starting quarterback. They dealt with a ton of injuries, a a literal ton of injuries. And, uh, and they were in a pretty good spot from, from, you know, the way the roster was built. So getting somebody like Nick Bosa, adding him to a team that was probably far better than its record turned out to be really serendipitous. So, we will, we will, uh, I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll take the loss. I was, uh, and we talked about actually, I mean, I was very wrong being, I said eight and eight, maybe, maybe 10 games max they would win. I, I don't think there's a big difference between an eight win team and a 10 win team. It's ultimately comes down to a, a handful of plays, but I think there's a massive difference between an eight win team and a 13 win team. Um, so the fact that the 49ers are there, I think Kyle Shanahan deserves a ton of credit, obviously Robert Sala, uh, the personnel department, I, I think it's a credit to them. Just, just how well this team has played this year. Um, do we want to go over winners and losers from, uh, from over the weekend and, and going into the season, this regular season finale? You want to talk about we, who we, popped and stopped? We changed the name. Kyle, Kyle is uh, much better than me with words um and naming things and instead of winners and losers which we vowed to change last week uh we're going pop and stop who popped who stopped and i actually do really like that because it's original because i wanted yeah. i wanted to do something right like, it is i was thinking about because you know stock up stock down is something that buy or sell buy or sell yeah it's all kind of cliche same thing pop and stop is good because it rhymes and uh and it works who popped? Who stopped? So, Thanks, man. Yeah, good work. Good work by you. I did. I did something. <laughs> I have finally contributed to the podcast. You do lots of things. Hey, Kyle's name is uh, has been on the the artwork for this pod for a long time. Just so everyone's clear. Yeah, it it has been for like several months. 
I just <laughs> found out about it recently. Um, yeah, anyway. So, who popped? Raheem Mostert, fifth straight game with a rushing TD. I think he's the fourth 49ers player in team history to do that. Um, just been really good. Like, it, it, it was odd to see Tevin Coleman start the game because when Tevin Coleman went onto the field as, as the 49ers offense got its first possession after the Rams scored... You're like, oh, man, they're doing this again? Like, Raheem Mostert's been so much better. And I never thought I would be at that point. Like, right. admittedly, even last year when Mostert had that nice little run before breaking his arm, you know, it's not that I didn't trust that it was sustainable. I was just like, all right, this is somebody who's kind of bouncing around the league a little bit. He's been a good special teamer, but we've never seen him run with any sort of consistency. And, you know, maybe he comes in and pops for a couple games, but... Now it's like what he's doing is pretty sustainable, and it's pretty clear that he's the 49ers' best running back right now, um, which is wild to think about because he came into the year essentially. I mean, the the 49ers were hoping Jerick McKinnon would be one of their top two guys. That obviously hasn't happened. If that would have happened, Raheem Mostert would have been the four-string running back going into the season. Uh, he ended up being the third stringer, and now he's really their number one. And uh, and that could change, but it, I I thought that was interesting. And what he's doing is, like, historic. I wrote about this a little while ago, but he's at 168 carries. He's averaging six yards per carry. He's the only running back in history to average six yards a carry across that many carries in their career. Wow. Like, he's wow. he's at, he's at 5.6 this season on, on 127 rushes. And the thing that makes him most effective is that – extra burst he had we saw it against the Saints when he had a 10-yard touchdown run where it just looks like he shot out of a cannon and then that same thing happened against the Rams on his 16-yard touchdown where when the play is blocked correctly in front of him he can house it from anywhere on the field like his vision's been really good and he's running decisively he's taking care of the football and when he finds a hole and he hits it uh, he's really tough to bring down and if that's what the Niners are going to get out of him, there, there's no reason to not uh, maximize his chances to do that by giving him 15-plus carries. You know what I think is one of the reasons why he's successful as, as a runner? I think he, he's one of those like easy striders. Yeah. You know those people who don't look like they're running real fast, but they're covering a ton of ground? Can I... Like I think he's one of those dudes where it's like it, there, there isn't a whole lot of like you know, body motion, like he's not moving, pumping his arms like crazy, or is it, it doesn't look like his legs are, are going like a million miles an hour, like Tyreek Hill. He's running really fast. He's one of the fastest guys on the team. And he was a track star who was like a sub 10, three in the hundred, hundred meter dash or whatever. Yep. But like, he's not a dude that looks like he's, he's a burner while he's running, but he actually is. Um, and, and I think, I mean, I'm obviously not a football player, but I, I, I do think there's something to that if you're defending somebody because you think, oh, I, I got him, and then it leads up to you know, taking a bad angle, I, and, I, uh, and all of a sudden he's past you. I think Kyle Shanahan actually mentioned that once. He said that guys just don't think he's as fast as he is, and then they wind up taking, you know, like you said, they take bad angles, and then he's by them before they kind of realize what happened. The name that comes to mind when you talk about that, and I'm not comparing him to this guy because he's a Hall of Famer, but Marcus Allen was a lot like that to me. Where when I watch Marcus Allen highlights, it's like, how does nobody tackle this guy? Like he's not even he's not even trying, but he's running past everybody. 
And that's how it feels watching Raheem Mostert. Raheem Mostert is like Marcus Allen. Write that down. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, All right. First stopped, uh, Jimmy Garoppolo. And it just wasn't a great game from him. He was, uh, I need to go back and look at the full stats. I should have this queued up. All right. So Garoppolo went 16 of 27 for 248 yards, a touchdown, two interceptions, 71.2 passer rating. Um, really just an underwhelming performance from him until you got to the fourth quarter. But for the, through the first three, he completed just over half of his passes. He was 10 of 18, 114 yards, 6.3 yards per attempt. These stats courtesy of one Kyle Madsen of NinersWire.com. Um, both his picks, a 35.2 rating. It was really shaping up to be one of the worst starts of his career and maybe the season, and then the fourth quarter happened where Jimmy Garoppolo popped. Uh, he went six of nine, 134 nice. yards, a touchdown, 146.8 passer rating. Um, obviously converting those two long third and 16s to Kendrick Bourne and Emmanuel Sanders where he got hit on the play. And and you mentioned it, like the ball just kind of hung up in the air and you're like, oh man, that's definitely getting picked until you looked down and you saw that Emmanuel Sanders split the defenders who covered the route about as poorly as you could yeah um, and there was a lot of discussion about Jalen Ramsey throwing Taylor Rapp um, under the uh, under the bus like right underneath it, it. <laughs> <laughs> but I, when you're a corner when you're a player like that you have that kind of clout I think yeah. uh, I don't think it's that big of an issue the particularly the pl- given that Rapp is a rookie the play um, the play that stood out to me from Garoppolo in the fourth quarter wasn't even on that last drive it was the touchdown pass to George Kittle Yep. Where everything kind of collapsed around him and he extended the play right. And a lot of times you'll see a quarterback just sprint to the sideline and then lose a bunch of options because of it. But the how calm he was getting out of the pocket, directing traffic, and then firing a strike into George Kittle uh, for the touchdown, that was super impressive. Um, yeah. and, and that, when I think about that fourth quarter, that's what really stands out to me because – he was just under duress all night. He wasn't able to step into throws. Uh, he holds on to the ball a little bit longer as it is because he's waiting for windows to come open. Um, but I, I I, just, I was really, really impressed in that fourth quarter. Uh, just kind of the way he, he uh, overcame some of the issues happening in front of him. Yeah, I watched that third play. I watched Kittle on that third down and goal as it was happening. And basically he comes off the line of scrimmage and is immediately double teamed and he's not even close to being open. And you knew because it was a, a third down and B a red zone opportunity that Kittle was going to be the first read. And it turned out he was Kyle Shanahan said so afterwards. And then, uh, the pro the pocket breaks down and the offensive line struggled predictably with, with backups at right guard and, and Dan Brunskill and Ben Garland at center against Aaron Donald. That wasn't exactly surprising. Um, we can talk about that in a little bit, but um, yeah, like you mentioned, Garoppolo's ability to, to keep the play alive and then Kittle's ability to find an open spot despite being double teamed um, was, was a really important play in that game because it gave the 49ers a touchdown there and uh, one that they definitely needed. Uh, which proved to be important in in the outcome. Let's talk about the offensive line a little bit, because I think that's fair to say that uh, the the offensive line stopped. The 49ers gave up success in that game. Um, 
real uh, Dante Fowler was a real problem, and he's been um, probably you know, mostly a disappointment throughout his career, but he, he has games where he looks like a player who deserved to be a first-round pick. I think Saturday night was one of those games, but um, it looks like Daniel Brunskill is going to be starting at right guard again, um, and Ben Garland obviously is going to be going the rest of the way because Weston Richburg's on injured reserve, but I think the Weston Richburg injury is a big deal. Like watching this team play these last two weeks against Grady Jarrett and Aaron Donald, obviously those are two of the better defensive tackles in the league, but um, that's going to be a problem. Like I, I would have felt a whole lot more comfortable about the 49ers' chances at getting to the Super Bowl with Weston Richburg at center, given the way he was playing. I thought he was he was good to very good about the entire year. Um, particularly at running Kyle Shanahan's offense, and and you saw him get out to the, the second level on a lot of runs and and do some good things in pass protection too. Ben Ben Garland, his his best trait is probably his ability to get to the second level on some of those outside zone runs. But I don't know how good he is in pass protection or when you're doing more gap plays and inside runs and things like that. But uh, what what's your concern level about the offensive line going into the the week 17 and and the postseason? Like an eight, because every defensive line they're going to face, especially on the interior, is really, really good. Yeah. And when teams get pressure up the middle, it just wrecks everything that offenses want to do. It, it, it doesn't allow plays to develop. It limits play action. Uh, it takes away stuff on the inside, which allows teams to, to stretch to the edge a little bit easier. Um that's just a, a huge concern for me. I think I think that Lakin Tomlinson's a good player, and I think if it's Mike Person or Daniel Brunskill at right guard, I think I think they'll be fine. Uh but Ben Garland just blocking wise, we saw him roll a snap to Garoppolo on the first drive, uh down right. in the red zone, then the next drive nearly snapped one over his head. Um like that those are those are issues that uh, could wind up being significant in a playoff game. So uh, it's definitely at an eight. And the only thing keeping it from being a 10 is because I think the guys alongside Garland can be good enough uh, to help uh, to help kind of cover for him. Uh, but I just, after watching the last two weeks, it's it's definitely an issue that, that needs to be watched. All right, let's go on to uh, one more popped. The 49ers first round by chances. So there was some talk going into Saturday night's game that the game didn't really hold that much significance um, because they would have had to beat Seattle for the NFC West crown, regardless of, of what the outcome was. Um, but winning the game gave the 49ers the massive leg up in terms of getting a first round by in the first in the playoffs. Right. So, um, because the Saints wound up wound up winning, the Packers won tonight. Um, had the 49ers fallen a game behind them, then they would have needed one of those two teams to lose in the final week uh, to get first to get a first round by. And the 49ers might have even been uh, the the two seed in in that scenario. Now, because they did beat the Rams. Um, they control their own destiny in the sense that if they win in Seattle, then they're the one seed. So 
obviously that's big because you get the buy, which is important with, you know, guys like Mike Person and D Ford and Richard Sherman's been banged up. Um, I think George Kittle is banged up. I don't know if, if you noticed, but he was definitely wearing a, a big rib protecting pad um, around his rib area, which we hadn't seen yet this year. And, and given that Kittle played with uh, broken rib cartilage or fractured rib cartilage, whatever the term is, throughout a significant portion of last season. Um, I think that's notable. So obviously, anytime you can get give Kittle more of a chance to heal, I think that's really important. Um, so yeah. obviously, the first round buy is huge. Yeah, and getting, uh, a, and getting the a... one seed means you won't have to go to somewhere like Green Bay or New Orleans or um, obviously Seattle. You know, since right. the 49ers would win the division in that scenario, but. Playing at Levi's Stadium would be a whole lot friendlier than having to go on the road. Yeah, and getting that first round by also means a better chance of having D Ford for your first playoff game. Yeah, and the That's last six deal. Super Bowl winners all had first round buys. Correct. Uh, the last one to do it was the Ravens in 2012. They beat the 49ers. Correct. Uh, uh, go ahead. So, so here's playoff scenarios. Yeah, seeding do it. scenarios. So the 49ers get the one seed if they win. It doesn't matter who else wins or loses. The Niners get the one seed. If the 49ers lose, they get the five seed. Doesn't matter who else wins or loses. Uh, so win one seed, lose five seed. They can't go lower than five. Uh, if they lose, that's because the Vikings lost to the Packers on Monday night. If they tie, things get weird. Uh, so if they tie and the Saints and Packers both win, the 49ers are the three seed which means they would host a playoff game against the sixth seed on wildcard weekend. Um, which is most likely the Vikings, right? Which is the Vikings, yes. Uh, if the Niners and Seahawks tie and either one of the Saints and Packers lose, the Niners are the two seed, which means a first round by and home field unless they play the one seed in the NFC title game. Right. If they tie and the Saints and Packers lose, the Niners are the one seed. Yeah. So if they tie, things get weird. I don't think they're going to tie. Strong take. Thank you. Um, I tweeted yesterday after the results of the Seahawks game. Basically, if the Niners lose in Seattle, they won't get a home playoff game. And people were like, well, yeah, they could if both wildcard teams make the conference title oh, game. Oh, God, that's so annoying. Um, that's never happened that's literally never. never happened so yes it is possible that the 49ers as the five seed could host the conference title game but it would only come uh by way of playing the number six seed and based on what we saw from Kirk cousins tonight on monday night football at home against the packers i'm not sure Kirk cousins or at least i wouldn't feel super confident in Kirk cousins going on the road and beating two higher seeds to get to said conference title game Fair? Yeah, that's fair. Okay. Uh, <laughs> the Demontre Moore MVP award. We did not write it down, so we're going to go off the cuff with this one. Who's your uh, Who's your MVP from Saturday night's game? Put you um, on the spot. Oh, man, I hate that you did that. Uh, Fred <laughs> Warner. Because there you go. His, we we didn't that, talk about Fred. That's you. a good we way didn't. to talk about Fred. We didn't. Fred Warner's the MVP this week because he made a huge play. In that game, uh, the Niners had just scored on Raheem Mostert's touchdown. It was 24-21 Rams, and they looked like they were going to go down and score some points before the half, 
and instead Fred Warner gets a pick six. Niners go up 28-24 going into the half, and that's a massive swing in a game that was decided by three points in the final seconds. So uh, not only did Fred Warner make a huge play in that game, but Fred Warner made a play of pretty big significance on national TV when the Niners were the only game on. And I think it kind of opened a lot of people's eyes to the fact that Fred Warner is one of the very best linebackers in the NFL. Uh, Brian Baldinger was on with us uh, on 95.7 The Game today and called Fred Warner the best linebacker in the NFL. And if he's not there yet, that's certainly the direction he's trending and plays like that one on Saturday when the 49ers just, they needed a stop. They needed any kind of play uh, from from somebody on their defense and Warner uh, undercut a swing pass and, and took it to the house for points. So uh, shout out to Fred Warner. He is the Demontre Moore MVP for me. That is a strong take. I'm uh, I'm happy you did that because I hadn't thought about it, and it would have been a tragedy if we went this whole pod without talking about Fred Warner's play. Um, so I'm gonna go with George Kittle because he had a touchdown. He led the 49ers in receiving. He had a 36-yard catch, which set up said touchdown in the fourth quarter. Um, he threw a really good block on Raheem Mostert's run, uh, which shouldn't really be a surprise. And I mean, he's, it's just the offense has a completely different look when he's on the field and they can do just about everything they want to do. Um, because Kittle is such a good run blocker, they can do those outside zones that Raheem Mostert has become so good at, uh, they can run play action and make Kittle one of the most dangerous weapons in all of football. Uh, when he's running down the middle of the field after the defense is is playing up from a run f- because of a run fake, um, and so because of that, I mean we saw that uh, on Saturday. I, I just think Kittle to lead the team with five catches, to lead him with 79 yards. He's closing in on a thousand yards. He would be the first. Obviously, he's the only tight end in team history with a thousand yard season. He would become what the fifth player in uh, in franchise history with multiple thousand yard seasons that's no small feat because the 49ers have had some pretty good pass catchers over the years um so yeah george kittle the Demontre Moore mvp of the week for me uh anything else do you want to plug you want to plug ninerswire.com you you want to do you want to sell your website to our listeners yeah get to ninerswire.com got some playoff scenario stuff up there i got a story on marshawn lynch resigning with the seahawks and then we'll have some niners seahawks preview stuff uh, along with some decade looking back on, on the 2010s, which were pretty wild for the 49ers. Um, and they're trying to close the decade with, with a title, which would be uh, pretty crazy considering the ups and downs they've experienced over these 10 years. So I'm going to talk a little bit about that. Uh, one more thing I want to get to. I, I don't really want to get to it. I just I just want to mention it because uh, I was pretty hard on Tevin Coleman last week. Uh, and he had a really nice game. He went 33 yards on five carries. I know that's not crazy productive, but... Uh, he only had a long run of 12. He was consistently uh, picking up yards when he when he did get carries, which is not something that he's done over the second half of the year. And if the Niners can get a productive version of Tevin Coleman for, for Week 17 in the playoffs, their, their offense becomes really, really dangerous. So I wanted to fit that in uh, before we got out. Yeah, strong work. Tevin Coleman popped. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And because we're no longer calling people winners and losers, we can say popped and stopped and feel better about it. Um, 
Yeah, I'm going to have some uh, there's going to be some holiday content coming out. I went to a uh, an event put on by a 49ers player which I will be writing a sort of mini feature story on that is probably going to come out Christmas Day cuz it's a Christmas story. Um and then a lot of Niners Seahawks content. I am going to do an all decade team. Uh one thing I did want to say about the decade which what that because you mentioned it was the fact that there was never a point where the 49ers were mediocre this decade. They were either, I mean, maybe 2010. Oh, yeah, I hard disagree. They were super mediocre in 2010. Okay, super mediocre in 2010. Thereafter, they were either great or terrible. Yeah. And maybe they were mediocre in, in 14. 2014. But yeah. that was such a weird year going 8-8. Eight and eight. They were like a juggernaut that was just completely cut its own knees off <laughs> with everything that was happening behind the scenes. Uh, so yeah, two out of the eight years or two out, two out of the 10 years, all the eight other years, they were either, uh, they were either great or horrendous. There were two years where they were mediocre, which I think is interesting given how many mediocre teams are in the NFL year in and year out. So, um, that's a, that's a really strong take to finish on. We will preview the Niners Seahawks game week 17, uh, later this week, we'll record that on a Thursday night for everybody's weekend. Uh, I hope everybody has a happy holidays, Merry Christmas, Happy Hanukkah, uh, whatever else you might celebrate. Um, and we will talk to you guys later in the week. For the ones who know that a little late is always too late, and that the clock doesn't stop just because you're missing a part. Granger offers supplies and solutions for every industry, and our KeepStock inventory management solutions help ensure you have the right stuff in the right place at exactly the right time. Visit Granger.com/keepstock to learn more. Granger for the ones who get it done.